Hallelujah. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Thank you very much. On behalf of all the men at prayer, uh, thank you for that. Um, I'd like to say a special welcome to those watching online right now. And uh, happy Father's Day again to all of you. Um, The kids actually can head for their program now. If you're visiting with us this morning, uh, feel free to follow your kids out. Uh, There's some leaders in blue blue shirts at the back. uh, And then come on back and enjoy us after that. Um, This is uh, the Men of Prayer group, affectionately called as MAP. Uh, if you would like to join us on any of our events that happen throughout the year, feel free to join us. Um, another announcement coming up, uh, Board of Management's tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. Uh, if you're part of the Board of Management. Also, uh, next week we're going to have a number of baptisms. Uh, come on out and, and uh, show your support for those that are publicly uh, making the statement of their faith uh, with us. Um, also, uh, this is the second to last of our regular uh, service times. There'll be regular two services next week, but on July 2nd, at, uh, we're going to one service, and it's only at 10 in the morning. So just keep that in your minds. Um, with that, I think uh, Pastor Rob has something to say. Thanks. Ask my, uh, my guys to come down, Kevin and Sean and Bruce, come on forward. I'm Rob, and uh, I want to introduce you to Bruce Watts and Sean Dunn here with a special red shirt, and Kevin Simpson, and um, three members of the Men at Prayer. And one of the things you probably aren't aware is that in the month of February, the Men at Prayer volunteered their time at Outflow with the homeless shelter uptown. And so it's, they had between 20 and 25 of our, our gentlemen from the church went and made a commitment to be a part of that ministry for the month. And I knew that probably not many of you knew that they had done it. And I, there's a great story there. And I wanted to just kind of pick their brains a little bit and uh, ask them just some questions about that and share it with you this morning. So, Kevin, we'll start with you. What do you do when you go to volunteer at a homeless shelter? What practically are some of the things that you would do? Thanks, Rob. Um, we uh, basically, our requirement was to show up uh, at 8 o'clock, and that's when the doors open. Um, for the homeless men that are in our city um, to come and to basically get a meal um, and they have the ability to to stay overnight there. Um, So once we showed up at 8 o'clock, certainly had a a small time at the start just to have some communication with the guys. Um, But basically we were heading straight for the kitchen Um, and these guys are hungry. Um, They're typically cold and are looking for something quick. And so I was able to partner with BJ on a couple of occasions, BJ McDonald, and um, he had some stew made, we had some peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, some bananas, things like that, um, that we just kind of basically served the men um, through the the course of the the few hours that we were there. Um, Probably the the best thing was, is after we were done serving the guys, because again, they were were very hungry, um, had a great chance just to have a talk with them. And it was really interesting because a lot of them you know, basically have lives just like we do. They have kids. Um, some of them go to work. Some of them, um, in February, if you can remember, we had some snowstorms. They had been out shoveling, trying to make a few dollars here and there. And it was just really neat to kind of connect with them in that little, in that way and, and to hear, hear their story. And uh, so that was a great opportunity for sure. 
Now, Sean, I know that I'm guilty of having stereotypes of uh, maybe a, what a homeless person is and what they're like. And um, maybe share with us a little bit of your experience. Did you have any fears or reservations? Sure, I had some fears, uh, but mostly, uh, mostly I was concerned that there would be a lot of uh, of alcohol, you know. Uh, but there's not. Uh, like like we were saying before, it's um, people are there for a number of reasons, um, and and some of the guys do have jobs. They have minimum wage jobs, which makes it almost impossible to get an apartment. So they come there, they get fed. Um, there certainly is a lot of mental illness as well. Uh, sometimes it's as simple as a marriage breakup, you know. Uh, the lesson that I learned was all I have to do is trip and bump my head and I'll be at outflow. So I can be there as well. And I always keep that in the back of my mind that they are no different than I am. You know, they are uh, just trying to get through life and uh, we can help them and we can, we can be there to help them in a positive, um, constructive way of showing our faith. You know, we must have some actions to have faith. Thank you. Thanks, Sean. Um, whenever we do something new for the first time, it requires faith. We're stepping out of our comfort zone and, and learning to trust the Lord. Bruce, what did you learn? What did God show you in your experience of volunteering at Outflow? Thanks, Rob. I think that uh, for me, it was uh, a real difference maker in terms of what you can do uh, relatively easy that makes a huge difference for someone else. Uh, it served to me as a, as a reminder of a simple act of kindness, things like you know, preparing a, a, a sandwich, a, you know, a bowl of soup, a cup of coffee, things like that on a cold November night uh, can make a huge difference. Uh, we arrived shortly before 8 o'clock and the doors were, were locked and we stood out for a few minutes and it didn't take long to realize that standing outside, if you didn't have somewhere else to go, uh, this is really a big deal. And uh, the, the other thing that I found was my expectation going in was that it would be largely young people, young men, who had perhaps made some poor decisions uh, you know, earlier in their lives and hadn't sorted things out yet. But in fact, there was a wide range of, of ages, I would say from age 18 to, to 70 plus. And so, uh, you know, as Sean just indicated, any of us could find ourselves in that kind of a situation and to have such a, a facility that serves men in need, and no question there is a need, um, it's, it's a real reminder to all of us. Hi, I just want to make a, 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 little, uh, a little promo here. Um, one volunteer, one day per month, will make all the difference for outflow, and they need volunteers. And that's all, that's all that anybody needs to do is one day, once a month. So contact uh, Outflow. It's online. You can find it there. Thanks, Sean. And they do. They have an information session coming up this Thursday at Outflow, one at 12.15 lunchtime, and then one at 5.15 at Outflow itself if you'd like to go and figure out what it looks like to volunteer. Though, So thank you, gentlemen, so much. And to all of you who volunteered, thank you. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for each and every one of the fathers here today, Lord. We thank you for all the blessings that you have given us, our children. We ask you, Lord, to be loving and caring fathers towards our children. We ask you, Lord, for 
patience and mercy that you have given us, Lord. Be thankful for that you're the, the hope, the anchor of our soul, Lord. We thank you for just being there for us all the time and just loving us, Lord, and being the perfect Father. We ask you help us strive towards you and being, being like you are, Lord. We ask you, Lord, to bless this offering, and we ask you to multiply it for the furtherance of your kingdom. In your name we pray. Amen.
talented guys in here, don't we? Not too shabby, not too shabby. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you so much. Well, welcome. Happy Father's Day. I want to say uh, happy Father's Day to all of you dads as well and those of you who play a father-like figure in the life of somebody. And uh, we're really pleased that you would choose to join us today. I'm going to show you a picture of my dad. And um, I love this picture because this is uh, my dad and my youngest son, Seth. And um, as a little kid growing up, for me personally, we had a very special place in a cottage in Manitoba. And we just had so many great childhood memories there. And I remember them so much as a little boy. And here I am sitting in the back of this boat watching my son now have the opportunity to share in the same experiences that, I, that were so special to me growing up, and so I snapped this picture, and it's one of, uh, one of my favorites. And I'm so grateful for the role of my father in my own life on so many different levels, but in particular, just around his own commitment to faith and his willingness to live that out in front of me. And I'm so grateful for the men that God has put in my life. Um, sometimes I was aware of them, sometimes I wasn't. They were praying for me, encouraging me, and, and, and equipping me along the way, and I'm so grateful for them. And I hope that you have people like that in your life as well. And today, the secret of a Father's Day thing is, you know, sometimes you think, well, it's a Father's Day message, so if I'm not a dad, it won't apply to me. And if we always try to tailor these messages, even if, you're, if, even if you're not a dad today, there would be something here that would be helpful to you, that you'd be able to take with you and kind of put into practice into your life. We're going to read this morning from Mark chapter 2. And um, what we're going to do today, sometimes when I read the Bible, I will read a passage of Scripture, I'll read a story, then I'll ask myself, of each of the characters in this passage, what can I learn? What is there for me to learn from each of the characters in this passage of Scripture that I'm reading? And so I'm kind of applying that to, to this passage today. Mark chapter 2, starting at verse 1. If you're using the red Bible in a chair in front of you, it's on page 1553. And then I think you've got half a word, and then we're going to jump to the next page. Um, Mark chapter 2, starting at verse 1. I'll read to the end of verse 12. Then we'll look at what can we learn from the paralytic? What can we learn from the friends? What can we learn from Jesus? 
A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered there, and there was no room, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat and the paralyzed man on it. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And he got up. He took his mat, and he walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this before. So this morning, I want us to look at each of the kind of the main characters in the story. We'll look at the paralytic, we'll look at the friends, and then we'll look at Jesus and kind of wrestle to ourselves around what is it that we can learn from these passages, not just in light of parenting, not just in light of being dads, but for each of us here today. So let's look at the paralyzed man first. Now, in the ancient world, if you were paralyzed you were destined to a life of begging and a life of dependency. We don't know if this guy was born paralyzed. We don't know if there was a workplace incident um, in his life. We don't know if he got sick at some point that caused the paralysis. All we know is that he is paralyzed. We also know that at some point, this man had to choose to get some help. This man could not get to Jesus on his own. And as I was reading through this week, I realized that this man at some point had to give consent for them to stick him on a mat, drag him through crowd, put him up on the roof, and lower him down through the ceiling. He had to ask for help. Now, I don't know about the gentlemen in your world, ladies, uh, but there is a reputation going around, I don't know who started it, that some men aren't very good at asking for help whether it's directions, whether it's trying to bring all the groceries in in the car in one load. Uh, There is this stereotype that kind of percolates around. And I was struck about this guy in this story. He had to ask for help. He had to admit that he could not get to Jesus on his own. And he had to receive some help from these friends. And as I'm wrestling around a little bit, what does it mean for for us guys here today to wrestle with this image of the paralyzed man I got thinking about how easy it is to get paralyzed as it relates to parenting. How easy it is to try to just stick our head in the sand and ignore what's going on instead of engaging and being the parents that God has called us to be. I mean, let's be honest. We've got a lot going on in your lives. You've got work, you've got a marriage, you've got all kinds of jobs, you've got things to do around your house, you might have some financial pressures, and then on top of that, you're trying to be an intentional parent. You're trying to be the best best dad that you can be. Not only that, but as we think about being a parent, we realize that the world that our kids are growing up in today is different than ours. This little gadget right here has changed the parenting game completely, hasn't it? This has changed the parenting game completely. And there can be a temptation when parenting is difficult For us to just kind of say, you know, I'm going to start working more and be home less. 
and then I won't have to deal with it. Or we can just kind of say, no, I'm just going to go to the garage or out to the shed, and I'm just going to kind of putter around every night after supper, and I'll just kind of be unavailable to my family. Or we can just get home and sit on the couch and get this out and scroll and sweep and slip around and just watch Netflix and just kind of waste the night away. And there's a temptation when we face the challenge of parenting just to kind of check out of the parenting game altogether. I was talking to a guy when I was in Ontario last week. He was telling me about his teenage daughter and what she was up to on the weekend. And he said to me, I've stopped asking her what she's doing on the weekend because I really don't want to know. He was experiencing a kind of parenting paralysis. He was scared and afraid. I think about those of you who are trying to raise kids um, in a new culture. Maybe you were born and raised in China, but now you're trying to raise children in Canada. Or maybe you were born and raised in Africa, and you're trying to now raise children in Canada, and you're trying to figure out, how do I do that? Maybe you're dealing in a home where there's divorce or separation, and now there's kind of another stepdad in the situation, and you're trying to figure it out. And the temptation is to just kind of be paralyzed and just to shut down and to exit the parenting game altogether. And so if this description fits you maybe today or at any point, I just want to issue a gentle challenge to you that we need to be in the parenting game. We need to re-engage. Our kids not only need us in this game, but every study, every statistic tells us that our kids actually want us, dads, in the game. They want us to be there, fumbling though we may be, to be there and to be engaged. So I don't know what's helpful for you. I don't know what you need in this season or in this chapter. If there's another dad that you need to speak to, if you need to get a book or a podcast, if you need to talk to your spouse, if you need to call another dad and say, look, I'm going to start engaging more at home. Do you want to do it too? Yeah, all right, we'll link arms. Let's hold each other accountable as we go down this road together. I'm not sure what you need, but let me just encourage you to just walk away from being the paralyzed parent. The second group in this story is the group of friends. And I love these guys. These guys are absolutely crazy, okay? Um, They have no boundaries, they have no inhibitions, and they clearly do not value other people's property. Can you imagine destroying someone else's property in order to meet a spiritual need in your family's life? Can you imagine you've got to get your kids to youth group, but your wife isn't home from church yet or from work yet, and so you don't have a vehicle, so you break into your neighbor's car, and you, you burn across the lawn, and you go up over the curb, and you kind of come tearing up Forbes Drive, go up on two wheels, come on in here and do all kinds of damage to his car in order to get them here in time for youth group. Can you imagine? This is what these guys are doing. They're destroying someone else's property because they so desperately want to get their friend into the face of Jesus. And I think as parents, this is one of the greatest opportunities we have is to get our kids face-to-face with Jesus. Now, dads, I don't know if you know this or not, but you have a disproportionate influence in the life of your kids. All studies and statistics show this. Sorry, moms. If a dad takes spiritual leadership in the home and lives out his faith in the home, the likelihood of their kids doing the same increases dramatically over that of moms. I don't understand this. I don't know to, to I can't explain it. Um, but it's true that we have a disproportionate influence in the life of our kids. Now, this is not a call to perfection. This is not a call to be the pastor of the house and wagging your finger and beating on the Bible at supper time. It means living out your faith authentically, being real. 
Real about your joys and real about your struggles. Real about your victories and real about your doubts. In fact, I've got a little video clip here that'll show you what it's, we're not called to be like. We'll see if we can uh, get it going here. And you got Christians, I'm just going to put this out there. You ever know somebody that was... Run dial-up, so... Oversaved. <laughs> no, all right, well, it's not going to work. And I won't try to do the routine for you, but you get the point. Um, the key when we're parenting is to be authentic, not try to be over-spiritual, not to be heavy-handed spiritually with our kids, but to live out our faith authentically for her. And you know, we even have a thing today, it's an app. If you are a parent here today and your kids are in the River Tots or River Kids over there, you actually can download a free app. And on that app, it will explain to you what they learned this morning while they're over there. And it'll give you tips so that you can go home tonight and before they go to bed, you can kind of scroll through and talk to them about the lessons. You can go over the verse. It'll give you tips about things you can pray for them. It will make you look way more spiritual than you really are. But we have an app for this to help you out, to help you be engaged in the parenting game. But I love these guys because not only would they just, they're, they're relentless in wanting to get their friend to Jesus, but they realize that they've got a window and that the window closes way too soon. Jesus was not going to be in town forever. They knew they could, could not come back next week. They had a window, and that window was going to close. And if you are a parent, if you're a grandparent, if you're an uncle or an aunt, if you've got a small group of kids, if you're a youth group leader, you realize you too have a window in the life of your kids that you have influence over, and you know that it closes way more quickly than you would like it to. So the lesson from these guys is do anything you can to get your family to Christ, to set that priority in your home. The third lesson here is from Jesus, and it's the lesson of mercy, the gift of mercy. How many of you think Jesus probably had a pretty good sermon going when he was in the house? Like, it was probably a good one, right? Is that fair to assume? He's got a crowd of people in the home. He's got a crowd of people listening out in the crowd, and he's in the middle of his talk, and suddenly dirt starts falling from the ceiling. Now, maybe he was just getting ready to do his best story of his talk. Maybe he was getting ready to call the band back up to do, like, the altar call moment at the end of his talk, and I'm going to call the Men at Prayer band to come on up at this point. But whatever was going on, he was in the middle of his talk, and suddenly the roof starts to crumble all around him, and suddenly a guy starts getting lowered through the roof and through the ceiling. And it's in this moment that we see the heart of Christ, because when he sees this guy get lowered down, he's not angry that he's been interrupted. He's not angry that the man who has allowed him to come into his home and use his home for his ministry is being ruined. He has mercy for this guy. He's got mercy for this guy. Mark says, he saw the faith of his friends and he said to them, your sins are forgiven. And I love verse 11 and 12. He said this to the man after he had forgiven his sins and healed him. He says, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. 
He got up, took his mat, and I love this last part, he walked out in full view of them, which is to say he had to push his way through the crowd and everybody was now staring at him. This man is the altar call. He is the sermon illustration. He is the point of Jesus' message, which is that I've come to give people a second chance. And as I read this passage, I thought about how many dads I know need to be reminded that Jesus is giving them a second chance. If you've made mistakes, if you have blown it, if you have regrets as a parent, Jesus says to you today, I've got mercy for you. And I'll give you a second chance. If you're struggling how to lead at home and how to be the spiritual leader of your home and you just feel like when it comes to that area, you've been a complete failure, Jesus, he's got mercy for you. He gives us a second chance. If you got into fight with your kids today when you were coming to church on Father's Day, Jesus has mercy for you. And he gives us that second chance. And I think of all the gifts that we could give our kids, all the gifts we could give our grandkids, our nieces and our nephews, the kids in our circle in River Tots and River Kids or the students that we minister to at youth group, the greatest gift that we could give them is to show them what it's like to come to Jesus and receive a second chance again to live that out and for them to say, you know what, God's got mercy for my old man. He was never too proud to go back to Christ and get the forgiveness and get the mercy that he needed in his life. Can you imagine if our kids grew up knowing that no matter what happens in life, that God would have mercy for them? That that lesson would be just cemented in their hearts? That no matter what culture tells them, they know it's never game over. That Jesus always has mercy for them. It's our prayer for you today. Whether you're a parent or a grandparent or whatever your role is in having influence in the life of somebody else, if you struggle with it, if you feel challenged at times, that you would know that today begins the beginning of a fresh start for you. Let me pray.